listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Cup Talk for Sunday, June 24th, 2018. The second round of group stage games has completed, and I am talking to Banter FC's Tyler Dunn about it all. We'll talk about the disappointment that has been Argentina, the slight disappointment that's been Germany, and the emergence of teams like Belgium, Croatia, Mexico, Russia. There are a lot of storylines in one of the greatest group stages, possibly the greatest group stage in World Cup history. Join us on the other side of the music. Tyler, welcome to uh, PSG Cup Talk. How are you enjoying your World Cup so far? I've enjoyed my World Cup. It's been like going to like the Dairy Queen or the Ben and Jerry's. It's like getting ice cream. And it's not just you're getting one scoop. It, there's so many scoops that we are getting. I, I, I just feel like I'm I'm just enjoying myself. I'm getting way too much. It's like you're getting seconds and triples. It's a double scoop. It's a triple scoop. Every game has been fantastic. Every game's had goals. There's no, there's been no zero zero draws. So we've had a fantastic tournament so far. Yeah, I can always count on you for introduction. So um, I, I want to start by just going through it um, group by group, and we'll talk about sort of the storylines um, that we have kind of seen develop over the last week and a half or so. But even before we get to that, you talk about your overall impression of this tournament. Mm-hmm. What do you think so far has been the 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 major sort of headline of it? Well, obviously, you know, not not specifically, just not to cut you off, not specifically teams or anything, but just sort of like your impression overall of what you're seeing and what it and what you kind of have gotten out of this last nine days. This World Cup has been so interesting in the dynamics of. The really bad teams, you know, those bottom three to four teams, that 32 to 28 teams, two World Cups from now, we are going to be adding 16 teams in there. And you look at the likes of Saudi Arabia, and you look at the the likes of, you know, Morocco and Iran, and it just, it just, you're looking at it in Tunisia, for example. Those four teams really lack the standard and quality. We are going to make a special tournament that the 32 best teams get into the tournament, and we are going to saturate this beautiful tournament for money and for advertisement and add 16 teams. So we should take these next two World Cups and cherish them because eight years from now, when the U.S., Mexico, and Canada have the World Cup, we're going to have 48 teams, and we're not going to have as an entertaining tournament. Even though we'll have more games, it won't be as entertaining because the quality and the standard is going to lessen. So enjoy this great World Cup. As I mentioned, every game has had goals. There hasn't been 0-0 draws. And I think we're going to be seeing more 0-0 draws going forward in the next couple of tournaments because of the lack of talent going to be playing. And I also, I, I think 32 is the right number. It's been the right number for the last six or seven of these. I, I think it's okay to have three or four teams sort of sneak in through qualifications and weaker... Um, weaker confederations. I'm okay with that. It's sort of the trade-off that you that you um that you have. Now, I will say though that I think teams 28 through 16 have been better than they've been in recent years. I think oh, I, 
Mm-hmm. You look at... I'm trying to even think for an example. I think, um... Just to kind of go through it, I think a team like Australia has been very good. Peru was very good. They didn't do... They didn't really do anything in that sense, but Australia's gotten a point. They have an outside chance to get into the round of 16. Um, Iceland looks at least competent, and Nigeria looks very co- competent, or words yeah. to describe it, but I'm going yeah, through these South teams. Korea, Serbia. Yeah, South Korea as well. Serbia Korea. gave... Yeah. Serbia's giving people games. Costa Rica's giving people games. Sweden took Germany to the absolute limit. This is not a... a a five-team World Cup where everyone else is sort of, you know, getting blown away. This is a fairly deep field in the sense that they're well, there's some well-organized, uh, well-drilled, well-coached teams that are, for the most part, giving these supposed top teams who we are used to sort of just flying through their group with relative ease, they're giving them some sort of trouble. And I, I, I look at France as a perfect example of that, and I look at, obviously, Argentina, and I look at Germany. So, besides those 32 to 28, I think the 28 to 16 have actually been very good and have made this tournament better than it's been in the, not, in the group stages in recent history. And I think that's also with the scouting around the world as well, is that Teams are finding these players abroad, and they're bringing them into the bigger leagues, the La Ligas, the Ligons, and you you see these players get developed, and they're going abroad, and they're playing. Like example, Japan, they have such a good uh, network in German football from the Bundesliga and the, and the Bundesliga too. You look at African nations; they have such a good connection to League On, and it's just building these players, and they're getting better technically. You know, you look at example Serbia, you know, we're talking about one of the most coveted prizes in all of world football this upcoming transfer season is, you know, Milikovic Savage, and he's going to be worth $100 million and just the way he's been playing at this World Cup. And, you know, you have Serbia and they're in a tough group with Brazil and Switzerland and Costa Rica, and you see them and they're giving teams good games and the competitiveness and those teams that would be third and fourth in the group now can really compete for that you know, second and first position because I think there's just the standard and the quality of really lifted up. You look at Iceland, for example. I mean, they get a point against Argentina. They play really well against Nigeria. It's just two moments of great counterattacking football from Nigeria, and they lose that game. But a country of 330,000 people, and they're at the World Cup ahead of Argentina. It's just the scouting, and I think the coaching around the world has gotten better, and it's catching up to the Frances of the world, the Brazils of the world, the Argentinas of the world, and the Englands of the world. And I think that is so good for the World Cup and so good for FIFA in general going yeah, forward. Yeah, and they're not at the point where they're going to overtake those teams at any any decade soon, but they're going to be able to represent themselves, and we're going to have these exciting group stages, which, again, for the most part are usually the appetizer to the knockout rounds, which are usually the main course of this thing. Mm-hmm. But this is, I would say... This so far has been the best group stage in a World Cup that I remember watching. Just from storylines and all that. Uh Well, let's talk about those groups. Let's go into Group A. Right now, Russia, the host country, is leading that group on six points uh, with a seven-goal differential. Uruguay is in second with a plus-two goal differential and six points. Both of those teams have qualified for the knockout rounds. Egypt and Saudi Arabia both have zero points, and they will be going home. 
So I would say the story in this group has been how well Russia have played. Now, let's let's uh, preface that by saying they've played Egypt and Saudi Arabia, two of the lesser teams in this tournament. Saudi Arabia has absolutely made a case for themselves as being the worst team in this tournament. Although I think it's them or Panama, but... Um, with that being said, I like this Russian team. I, I feel like they have enough quality players to score, but there's an organization, there's a directness to the way they play, and they're riding that home, uh, they're riding that home field advantage. Yep. And if they can get into, and they're gonna be in the knockout stage, they're gonna play probably either Portugal or Spain who have not shown necessarily the ability to uh, blow anybody out yet, they're going to give one of those teams a run, I think, in that round of 16 games. So let's talk about Russia for a minute and just how surprising, how surprising they've been and just, I think, how efficient they've been. Seven goals. They have mm-hmm. the highest goal dif- – actually, eight goals. They have the highest goal differential in this tournament. When we look at Russia, it's it's so interesting because the Moscow Times right before the tournament wrote them off. They're too old. There isn't any excitement in the team. They don't like the coach. They don't have any faith in these players. They're going to get eliminated. Uruguay's better. Than Egypt got Mo Salah. They're going to finish third or fourth. They've got written off. Well, they come into the first game. They put a trouncing on Saudi Arabia. Okay, so we get five goals in that first game. We're like, okay. And then everyone's like, oh, Mo Salah's starting. And then you kind of tell that Mo Salah wasn't the same Mo Salah for Liverpool, and they went 3 nothing. So we have eight goals, the most goals scored by any team in the, at the World Cup, more than France, more than Brazil, more than all those top teams. If we would have had money on this tournament saying who would have the most goals scored, going through a few games, the Russian national team is probably on the lower end of that list if you were a gambling man. But you look at the Golovins, for example. You look at the Dennis Shiri Chefs. They've had great tournaments, and it's just... You're getting great contributions from your from your players that you quote unquote see as your star players, your better players, and they've stepped up. Obviously, Egypt isn't a great team, and obviously Saudi Arabia, by any stretch of the imagination, they're not a great footballing nation, as we mentioned. Probably that 31 or 32 team out of 31 out of 32 teams at this World Cup, but they've done the job. They played the teams in front of them, and they've gotten the job done. And it's a credit to Russia that they've gone in this tournament, they've had the home crowd support. But they also had that chip on their shoulder, and they've done a fantastic job with that chip on their shoulder, scoring eight goals. Eight goals. That, that They still got to get the job done. And when you compare that to Uruguay, they've only scored two goals, and they've also played Saudi Arabia. So you got to give we got to give a lot of credit to Russia for playing the teams in front of them and getting the job done. Well, let's have a quick word on Egypt, because I think a lot of people going into this thought that maybe it wouldn't be Mohamed Salah's tournament, but he would have his moments. And honestly, his um, his moment has been taking a photo with a genocidal maniac that runs the uh, Chechnyan government. Yep. So not a great tournament for Mr. Salah. He got a goal off a penalty kick. Whoop de doo. Um. He, and now there's questions if he wants to um, play for the national team again. I kind of think that's a bit. Uh, dramatic, given in four years he's going to be playing for the Egyptian national team. It's, I don't think there's going to be any doubt about that. Um, can we just chalk it up to him being injured, or did he um, 
or did the pressure get to him? What what are your what's your take on that? So I, the way I look at it is that Salah wasn't fit for the World Cup. He wasn't. Hmm. There was this expectation. I agree. There was this expectation. He has this incredible season. He gets these comparisons unfairly to Messi and Ronaldo. That he, oh he's the third best player in the world. He's this. He's that. He's one of the best players in Europe. And yes, he was one of the best players in Europe. But the problem is, is that Liverpool and Egypt play two different styles. And I knew he wasn't fit for this World Cup when they were playing in that first game. And they didn't even bring him on for the last 10 minutes to try to even get something against Uruguay. you got 10 minutes left. It's a 0-0 game. You're telling me you couldn't bring him on just to get pace guy and just hit a ball over the top and maybe most likely get one opportunity. He didn't even bring him on for that game. He comes on in the second game. Eight. He gets a little couple of pushes. He wasn't going in for those 50-50 challenges. He wasn't fit. I think it was the pressure that was put on him to be the guy. And he never seems to be that. He's the guy for Liverpool, but he isn't the spotlight guy, right? There isn't this, like, Mo Salah, Mo Salah, Mo Salah. They have Firmino. They have Mane. They have Henderson. They have these players that kind of take the attention off him. And when the whole spotlight was on Salah, very opposite of his colleague at, at Liverpool, for Senegal and Sadio Mane, who's taken that captain fan, and he's been the guy for Senegal for Egypt. I think it's his personality, and maybe he just doesn't have the cojones like Ronaldo to step up in the big moments. He's more showing that he's got the Lionel Messi uh, kind of way of thing where he's going to quit on his national team because he was a failure at this World Cup. Yeah, and I, I even though I'm not the biggest Mo Salah fan, I do think there's a lot that sort of went into this that has... Um, I think put him in a difficult situation, sort of a no-win situation. He's not playing with very good players. He was put in a spot where he was put into a photo shoot that he, I'm not sure he fully understood what was happening. I I don't think that's any excuse. I think uh, I fully believe in being accountable for your actions, whether you mean them or not. So, you know, whether he knew who that person was specifically or not, he still is responsible for that photo op, in my opinion, in some way or yep. shape or form. You can't absolve him of that. So I would say it's a little bit of both. I think some of it's not in his control. I think some of it, he let the pressure get to him a bit. Um, Russia versus Uruguay. That will be tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. It's being recorded on Sunday. So most of you will probably be listening to it on Monday morning. Russia, Uruguay, who wins? Who wins Group A? I have Uruguay winning this one one to nothing. They're gonna they're gonna get a set piece goal. It's been their tournament. Two set piece goals they've scored. One from Suarez, one from Jimenez. I see Godin getting another set piece header. They have the looks of that 2010 Uruguay team, which was led by Diego Forlan and Luis Suarez eight years ago. They just have the same look defensively. I really like the center back combination. Good midfield. Great attacking options. You know, you can play the two, Suarez and Cavani. You have Maximilian Gomez to come off the bench. You have Cavani to come off the bench. So you have that that core four, as I talk about. 80 goals scored in their league campaign. I really like what they can do. Even if they go down a goal, they have options to get a goal back. And defensively, I always look at the spine of the team. And I kind of compare them to Atletico Madrid. Two good center backs, could, two good central midfielders, two good strikers. They play that 4-4-2. They will eat everybody up, they swallow the attack up, they 
You know, it's like oxygen, and they just take it away from you like you're going underneath water. And the way they do it, once you get submerged underwater, you can't breathe. And that's how the Uruguay defense is and that midfield is when they see the attackers come. So I see Uruguay winning one to nothing. I think that Russia's size is going to be a bit of a problem. I think if the game gets late and it gets to set pieces, I think Russia can do some damage with that. I'm thinking more 1-1. I just feel like, again, it doesn't really even matter who wins this group to a degree, but I I feel like Russia has one more sort of grinded-out game in them, and I feel like they have that sort of team mentality. So I think they get a point out of this, and they win on goal differential. I'll go with it. Uh, Group B. Spain currently, well, they're basically leading the group. Portugal and Spain are in a dead heat. They're, I don't see what tiebreaker, um, I don't see who's ahead on what tiebreaker in this sense, but Spain and Portugal both have four points, uh, four goals scored, uh, three goals against for a plus one goal differential. Iran is keeping themselves in it. They have three points, one goal for, one against. They will play Portugal. And Morocco has been eliminated from the tournament. They will finish fourth, and they will play Spain. So, pretty obvious, I think, Spain will, unless something catastrophic happens, Spain should beat Morocco. Morocco is not very good. Uh, Portugal and Iran could get maybe a little interesting. Uh, what's your take on that, uh, on that, on that group, Group B? Group B was, we, we got the big, huge, we talked about appetizers earlier on. We talked about how the knockout stage is usually, that's where we, that's when we start getting that whole course meal. We, we got the appetizer, we've had the chicken wings, we've had the mozzarella sticks, and in the first game of Group B, we have a 3-3 thriller between Spain and Portugal. I mean, if you are a non-soccer fan or you're just the average guy, I turn it off for the World Cup, I turn it off for the Euros, I turn it off for the Gold Cup, you know, for these major tournaments, you're watching your third game of the tournament and you get an absolute barn burner between Spain and Portugal. And like you said, it's a it's a deadlock. It's both teams scored four, both teams conceded three. They got the job done in the second games. Ronaldo's got four goals so far in this tournament. You look at Spain, Diego Costa, uh, he's starting to score some goals. They kind of figured out they were going to play with the nine. They got their target man, and the defense looks pretty solid. You know, everybody's kind of always got question marks about the PK, Ramos, center back pairing. They seem to have it. And Iran, they get that own goal late on against Morocco. Morocco couldn't score against Iran. They get an own goal in the 95th minute. They have an opportunity. All they have to do is get another set-piece goal, maybe get something go their way. They could advance. Portugal haven't seen their way through. I mean, obviously, we look at Spain as one of the favorites. We think they'll get the job done against Morocco, but it's been a weird World Cup. It's been an interesting World Cup, and you just kind of look at how things have gone. Would I be surprised if Iran knocked out Portugal and they missed their second knockout stage at the World Cup in consecutive World Cup? I wouldn't be surprised. I don't see it happening, but man, would that not be absolutely crazy? Ronaldo scores four goals at the World Cup and still gets eliminated in the knockout stage. What a story that would be. Well, and that's sort of the, the I guess, um, I'm not sure if we call it irony, but the idea that there's a, there is a chance that Argentina makes the knockout rounds and Portugal doesn't. Yep. That Ronaldo, who's scored four out of Portugal's four goals, will be knocked out and Lionel Messi, who has scored absolutely nothing, will find his way into the knockout stage. 
<coughs> now, I really hope that doesn't happen. Portugal deserved, I don't think Portugal deserved to win this thing, but they deserve to go through. They're the second best team in this group. Spain, I think, is clearly the best team. I thought they outplayed Portugal for 70 of the 90 minutes when they played. Ronaldo was just, he got his opportunities. He took them when he could. Um, Portugal looked fairly uninspired against Morocco. Uh, besides the Ronaldo goal, they just sort of did what Portugal do. And Portugal have a very um, distinct style that isn't yep. aesthetically pleasing, but it can be effective. They won a European championship playing this kind of style. So at this point, you really do feel like Portugal have perfected it, and they've perfected this sort of, um, we're not really going to do a lot, but when we do something, it's going to matter. Ronaldo's going to get his three, four chances. He's going to take one or two of them and score, and we're not going to let anyone through defensively. I will say, though, um, if uh, Portugal have any thought of advancing past the round of 16, they're going to need um, they're going to need Gonzalo Guedes to show up. They're going to need um, they're going to need those other attacking players to actually do something. Especially in that first game against Spain, it was it was the Ronaldo show. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for a David De Gea howler, and I will call out my David De Gea. He, he did not have a poor performance in that first game. Does Ronaldo score two of those? I, I'll give him a pass on that the three kick, but the outside the shot, you know, outside the box, he put one. He, he needs to save that. He saved that for Manchester United. Like I said, maybe he's just he's so used to Chris Mullins and Phil Jones when he actually gets solid defenders in front of him, he doesn't focus or concentrate enough. And you look at how he built up to this World Cup, he had a couple of mistakes. So maybe he just needs to recapture that focus, but. This group would be completely different if David De Gea played to the standard we expect of them, like he does for United for Spain. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this third group stage matches go. And you look at you know the possible matchups. You have either Uruguay or Russia, and we don't know how those two will finish off the top of you know Group A. And it's, it'll be a very interesting round of 16 matchup. You know Uruguay versus Portugal or Uruguay versus Spain. We're going to have a really very a really good. Uh, knockout stage matchup between Uruguay and either uh, one of the Group B teams. I think it's going to be a, a very, very scintillating uh, knockout stage. Uh, agreed. Um, group C, France has advanced. They have not won the group yet, but they've advanced. They have six points out of six, three goals for, one against for a plus-two goal differential. Denmark currently sits in second. They have four points, um, two goals for, one against. They will play France on Tuesday morning. Um, Australia is in third with one point. They would need to beat Peru and win the goal differential margin over Denmark to advance. And Peru, who have been fairly impressive in this tournament, they've shown that they can compete with the likes of France and Denmark. Uh, they have zero points and they are eliminated. So, before we get to France, a word on Peru and a word on, um sort of their tournament and how they looked not too long, but uh, they do deserve their, uh, they do deserve their minute. It's very interesting because leading up to this roll cup, they had a very, very good part of the area, right? They, they beat Croatia two to nothing in a friendly in March. They beat Iceland. They beat Scotland. They beat Saudi Arabia and they had a draw against Sweden, right? So we go into this world cup. They played some really nice stuff. Everyone's thinking, oh, Peru, they could be like one of those dark horses to get out of Group C. They could be the runners-up. 
and there was this hype around them. They played the first game. They played some really nice stuff. Denmark were clinical. They took their one chance. Colson scores it right before the hour mark, and Peru kind of ran out of ideas. Peru then go up against France. And France, you know, didn't have a great first game. They come out with the lineup. We're seeing this lineup, and we're looking at this France team, and we're like, okay, they're not making many changes. They're sticking to their game. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They're going to go with this team. This is their best XI. Peru plays some nice stuff against France, but France, you know, over the long haul, proved that they were the better team, and our guy in Mbappe scoring uh, 10 minutes before the end of the first half. And they played some nice stuff. They played some pretty football. We mentioned it with Portugal. Uh, they they kind of know how to play that not aesthetically good to the eye kind of football. In Peru, they played some nice stuff, but unfortunately, you can play pretty football, but that doesn't guarantee you victories or points. And you know, two games, two shutouts. Unfortunately, you're going home. But hey, you played some good football. Uh, yeah, and I, I was impressed. I liked Paulo Guerrero. I think he played well. I mean, it's hard when uh, all that pressure's energy. on you, but I think he was good. I think he was okay. Um, when it comes to France, I, I said this on Twitter at some point. You, it's you can't win a World Cup in the first two games, but you can lose one in the first two games. And I feel like France is still trying to figure out exactly how they're going to approach all of this. And I've had arguments with people over sort of what the formation should be, what it shouldn't be. I see merits in both sides of the argument. I, I think in the short term, Olivier Giroud is giving France more stability and more kind of a focus of attack. I still have my doubts as to whether him playing in the middle is the formula to actually win the World Cup. In what is sort of turning into a very winnable World Cup for a team like France. It, it, Germany doesn't look all that impressive. Brazil has its issues. Um, this thing has sort of opened up for the top five, six teams to win it. So France are in that mix. I think they'll be pretty good against uh, Denmark. I don't think they care whether they win this group or not. I think they're going to rest a few guys. Uh, they'll probably tie this game against Denmark. I'm not expecting much, but I think the whole goal was to just get through this and gear up for the four knockout games that they might have to play. Um, Pogba, I think, has been very good. I think he's... he Somehow he's underrated now. Somehow he's criminally underrated. Like, he, he's been good. Conte has been spectacular. I think France's midfield has been dominant in the first two games. I think what's letting them down a bit is that they're not necessarily um, getting the ball into great spots to score. And I think Giroud helped that a little bit uh, in the second game. But they still need to get more shots on goal. They need to, they need to put pressure. Whether Giroud's in there or not, whether it's Giroud or whether it's Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembele... They have to get the ball in front of the net and take shots. And they're still not quite there yet. So um, kind of the big question out of this. I think France wins the group. Denmark, I think, will, will finish second. I think they'll survive enough. Although they're in a difficult spot with Australia being able to play at Peru with nothing to play for. Um, what is France's ceiling right now? I, I'm curious as to your thought on that what is france's ceiling uh going into the knockout rounds you know you mentioned pogba 
And it's, it's something that we both can relate to. The media has a fascination with the star players of both of our teams, respectively. You have Neymar, and he does a rainbow flick, right? And the whole world loses their mind. Oh, he's disrespectful. He, he's enjoying his football. He does a rainbow flick. It's absolutely sensational. It's beautiful. And it's just, and people want to criticize him for it. And then he cries because his team wins and he scores a goal. And it's, oh man, why is he crying? That's, that's pathetic. And then you see the Germans yesterday on Saturday and they cry. And it's like, oh, look at how much passion they have for their team. It's these double standards. And then you mentioned Pogba. Oh, now he's overrated. He's got a new haircut. He's not focused. He spends too, time, too much time at the barber. And it's like, would you rather him be out doing drugs and drinking alcohol and being out night, all night partying and, you know, doing things that could get him in trouble, drinking and driving like we've seen with professionals with the past? Or do you want him to spend three hours at the barber getting a new haircut and not getting himself in trouble? But there's this media bias towards our star players in France. You know, they're not doing anything flashy to get to your question about where they're throwing this. But they're getting the job done. They have star players. They have clinical Griezmann, which we saw in the Europa League. His run, his clinical finishing, which saw them beat uh, Marseille in the Europa League final. He's one of the star players of this tournament. Obviously, he had some controversy with his uh, uh, wannabe LeBron, uh, LeBron James announcement video during the World Cup, which was odd, but it is what it is. Uh, he's a big fan of LeBron. He it's does that, ha- it's harmless. Yeah. It's in the end, it's harmless. It, yeah, it's harmless, but it's just odd that he did it during the World Cup, but it doesn't bother me. You know, it is what it is. He wants to say that he's going to stay. It, that's what he wanted to do. But I think this ceiling is when you look at where Germany's at and you look at where Brazil's at, this France team, they know what they're going to do. They have objectives. They have the difference maker at midfield. You have N'Golo Conte that's just shielding Paul Pogba to a knee, and it's just giving Pogba this freedom and license to get a little bit more forward. We saw it in that first game where he kind of advances forward he gets the goal, gets ruled to an offside, but or not offside, as an own goal. But he's getting forward in the attack. He's getting extra options, and I think their ceiling is another final. Even if they don't win it, I still see the next two tournaments where this France team with this core can go on and win a World Cup within the next three World Cups, including this one. From now to 2026, I see a France World Cup winner at some point. It could be this one. It could be. Four years early, but I definitely see it in 2022, and I could, I wouldn't be surprised in 2026 when Achilles Mbappe, Anthony Martial, Paul Pogba are all at the top of their game. I still see them as the ceiling of the semifinal final. I think they're great, even though they scored three goals. They're getting the job done. They have a great defense, great midfield, great attack. Olivier Giroud, it's interesting, but we've seen target men be very effective in this tournament and at this level. And maybe if France keep on going that way with Olivier Giroud, the, the big guy can score goals and he can link up play. Yeah, it's working. If, yeah. if it works, it works. So you can't yeah. you can't argue with something working. Um, Group D. All right, this is getting interesting. Croatia have advanced into the knockout stages. They have five goals scored, um, no goals given up. They have six points. Uh, Nigeria currently sitting in second with three points. They have two goals given up, two goals again, uh, two goals scored, two goals given up for a zero goal differential. Um, Iceland on one point, they have a negative two goal differential, and Argentina in last place, negative three goal differential with um, one point. Now, Croatia has to be up there. Before we get to Argentina. Croatia yep. has to be up there as one of the top three most impressive teams in this tournament. Um, they look like 
they have it together. They have a really, really good midfield in the latter stages of their prime with experience, with grit. Mario Mandzukic is playing well enough. Uh, Ivan Perisic has been good. Luka Modric is maybe the player of the tournament at this point. And a back line that is holding its own. And uh, a goalie who has not completely screwed it up yet. So, Croatia. Uh, I did not see this coming. I will say that I was wrong. Croatia have been very good. I did not expect them to be this good at all. Which is very interesting because I was very, very high on this Croatian team based on the midfield, right? We mentioned it with Uruguay. I talk about the spine of the team. I don't have faith in that center in the center backs, right? When I went to this tournament, I looked. I was like, Dejan Lovren, ugh. I, I, there's question marks. You're sitting there and you're like, that's not a good spine. But I look at that midfield, Ivan Rakitic. You look at Luka Modric. You look at Mateo Kovacic. And you look at Brozovic. Four excellent midfielders. Four c- central midfielders. And the way they can possess a game. And then you have Perisic. And you have Mandzukic. And they're all playing at that level of very, very good and excellent. And we talked about Modric being one of the players of the tournament. He go, We don't see him score goals that often. He's got two goals at this World Cup. And Ivan Rakitic has done a very, very, very good job. Brozovic of Inter Milan has done a really great job. They have Kramer is coming off the bench who plays for Hoffenheim, who's been a very, very excellent piece to the puzzle. And yeah, Antti Rebic, who had a great season for, you know, for Frankfurt and for that fantastic goal. After that wonderful bluff in that game against uh, Argentina from Caballero. So, got to give him a, a great shout out for his great distribution out of the back to Chelsea goalkeeper. Uh, but this midfield and that attack, and man, too, it's the work rate of this team. If they're just suffocating the attack and they're really swarming teams. And when they get on that ball and they have possession, they have so many great little players that can hold that ball and possess it. And they deserve to be where they're at right now in this tournament. And you just got to give a up the credit right there. You know, Luka Modric, 32 years old. You know, maybe this is his last major tournament. Maybe he plays one more tournament for the Euros in 2020 if they qualify. But, man, he got Rakitic, Kovacic. Uh, there's some really good young midfielders as well through this tournament. But, yeah, some of their better players are at the tail end of this tournament. And they really, uh, it's now or never if they're going to make that quarterfinal run, that semifinal run, and maybe even a final based on what we've seen so far through two games. Well, speaking of the exact opposite, um, Argentina are a team that I thought would struggle. I thought they'd struggle in November. I thought they'd struggle in March. I thought they'd struggle in June. But because you see the name Lionel Messi, everyone thinks, oh, Argentina will figure it out. They're one of the favorites in the tournament. And they say that flippantly like, oh, yeah, of course they're one of the favorites. They have Messi. When in reality, they are one of the poorest, disgraceful teams in this tournament. I mean, at least Saudi Arabia has no talent and they play, you know, they play to the fact that they have no talent. At least Panama have some passion and some heart and some desire. Argentina play with none of that. They don't play with any sort of plan, any sort of organization, any sort of heart. And everyone's just expecting them to beat Nigeria on Tuesday. Yep. Like, yep. And, and, and it's like there's still the amnesia of this. Is like they're not probably going to beat Nigeria because they uh, – hey, I might be wrong. I don't think so. 
I think it would be a crime against humanity if Argentina makes it to the knockout rounds. And I hope France beats them 7 nothing if they do. <laughs> Argentina have been disgraceful. I mean, they've been absolutely disgraceful. And Lionel Messi, and, and we talk about the whole uh, greatest of all time argument, which is the worst argument in sports because any yep. any any idiot can have it. And but with with that being said, this is not looking good on Lionel Messi. I'm sorry. You have to the body, and it's not even the play as much as it is just the he doesn't he. You think he cares. But he's not showing that sort of – he's showing that frustration of a guy who's like, I had to do this, and look what's happening now, As rather than I'm going to carry this team across the line. It's like – you know what? It's like when you're um, when you're forced by your wife or your girlfriend to go somewhere, and you don't really want to be there, yep. and you put on a nice face, and you get all dressed up, but you're just sort of wandering around like – you know, you're pouting. You're pouting. You're pouting. You're you're, yeah. you're nibbling at the snack bar. You're you're you know you're sitting at the bar, you know, downing some uh, downing some Jose, uh, Cuervo. Jose Cuervos. Downing right there, some right? Jose Cuervos. You you don't care. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to meet anybody. Your girlfriend's trying to make you meet people, and you're just like, eh, I don't really want to meet these people. I don't know them. I don't like them. That's how Lionel Messi comes off to me. Like he yep. was forced to do this at gunpoint. And he's going through the motions. It's interesting, right? He, he's we talk about how incredible he is, and I've had this com- conversation on Banter FC on my podcast, and I compare both of them. I think they're both legendary players in this game, but I've always said that Barcelona and Lionel Messi they, they fit each other like glove. They are perfect for each other. The way that he wants to play and the way that he is as a player, they fit. They, the, the imagination of the team and how it's set up fits in perfectly. And then we look at Argentina, the national team. He has so much political power on players that get selected for that team that it's so top-heavy. The, the fact that Paulo Dybala is coming off the bench and Christian Pavan is playing ahead of Paulo Dybala, by the way, who is probably one of the top players in European football, can't even get on the pitch until Argentina starts trailing. It just shakes it they just didn't even me. They didn't even bring Mauro Icardi to the Damn well, tournaments. Well, they, 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 played, they played Sergio Aguero, and I don't think I've even seen Gonzalo. Gonzalo Higuain's played like 10 minutes this whole tournament. Yeah. And it's incredible because I think Lionel Messi also brings Higuain together because, you know, both of them are serial bottlers at the international level. So, you know, he wants someone to distract from when he fails. So Higuain's a perfect, you know, full for him. But the team is built on his buddies. You got Aguero, who's his guy. The godfather of his kids, Di Maria's personal friends with him, Mascherano are personal friends with him, Iguain's good friends with him, and then the players that the, the team is built on who Messi wants in the team and not who is best for the team. And I think what's best for Argentina is once Lionel Messi finally does quit and he finally does retire, I think it will be better for Argentine football because we mentioned it, Mario Icardi, the top goal scorer in Serie A the past few seasons, 29 goals this past season. He's not even at the tournament because Lionel Messi has a grudge against him because He's friends with uh, Maximilian Lopez, who also is a, uh, a quote-unquote jobber uh, for in football. You know, he plays for mid-level clubs. He, he goes from team to team. He's a well-traveled player, but he's not that good. And uh, he cheated on this guy's wife. 
Uh, you know, he cheated on his wife, and Mario Icardi swoops in and takes Maximilian Lopez's wife, and he's married with her and has a couple of kids, and Messi's good friends with Lopez, and now Icardi's blacklisted from the national team until Messi's gone. And that's the problem. You should put away your personal feelings for a player, and you see, think you got the best chance of winning a World Cup if you bring that player with him. The fact that Gonzalo Higuain's in the squad ahead of Mauro Icardi, the guy that brought Inter Milan back into the Champions League, brought him on their shoulders, 29 goals. It, it's just laughable. And then we talked about Paulo Dybala. He can't barely get on the pitch. This Argentina team, and it's basically down the lead on that. He's got no passion for the national team. And the way that this team's built is because of the players he wants on the team. And they deserve to be in their situation. That's <laughs> They deserve it. Yeah, and you know, and just to, on Messi before I, I go a little more further, and that whole thing about his mother going that he cries himself to bed at night about the Argentinian national team. That is such bullshit. I, I'm hey, sorry. Yeah. Like, you, people think Neymar is disingenuous. That is as disingenuous as possible. It's not that he doesn't care at all. It's that, honestly, at this point, he's just over it. Like, he's been trying to do this for years and years. He got close in 2014. Arguably, they should have won that tournament. Arguably. And now, it's like he had to do it, and he he knows he probably shouldn't have, but he did it anyway. And now he's regretting it. And you have Angel Di Maria, who, I'm sorry, he's just not at that level right now. He wasn't any, they had to bench him after the first game. He was that bad. Um, they, they won't give a guy like Giovanni Lachelso a chance who could give them something, could give them some creativity, can give them some spark. And right now they have to play a Nigeria team who are going to hit them on counters, who are going to sit back. Argentina is going to have to go for the win. A draw won't do. And there's a good chance that Argentina lose this game one to nothing and they're done. And that's what I hope happens. So let me ask you, what do you think will happen? Croatia's going through. They'll probably win the group. Who yep. gets second place and a likely and uh, uh, a likely game against France in the round of sixteen? You look at this Nigeria team, right? And they played that we mentioned that counterattacking football they did against Iceland. And two opportunities they had. I think it was either the first or the, I think it was the first goal where they got from their box on a throw in. And scored a goal with Musa, which was a fantastic goal, which he took with his right and then popped it up and put it in the top corner on a counterattack in 12 seconds. Argentina are not very fast mobility-wise in the midfield and defense. They're, they're, very they're not very good. Yeah, they're Individually, for their respective clubs, their center backs and their defenders and their midfielders are good. The problem is is that when they all come together as a cohesive unit, they suck. That's the best way to describe Will, it. Willie Caballero is their goalkeeper. They have 43 million Argentinians. This is the this is the schmuck that they pulled out to go play for them. Well, did you hear the reason why that Sergio Romero, who's the backup? Yes, I understand that. But they yeah. but that's just that just shows you yeah. the state of their national team. Yeah. That this is the second best guy they could find. Yeah. They have well, nobody they else. They couldn't take well, they, someone off an Argentinian league team yeah. to to do a better job. And here's the interesting thing: they didn't bring Romero to the World Cup because he had an injury going into the World Cup, but. His wife comes out and says, yeah, he's he's fit and fine for the first game. He would have been fit, but they didn't want to bring him because he wasn't quote-unquote fit enough, and the doctors found a reason why not to bring him. And he doesn't have the best relationship with Lionel Messi. So there you go. Once again, your best goalkeeper isn't at the World Cup, but he's not injured. It's, it's just one of those things where it's just the Argentine politics kind of come back and shoot him in the foot. And then 
I look at this Nigeria team, they, they got the confidence, they have so much passion, they got so much belief in who they are, they have an identity, and I truly believe that they will get a draw against this Argentine team. I think they'll take an early lead or get one late in that first half, and they'll let Argentina kind of attack them, and they'll open the spaces up and play in behind. And I think if you're trying to chase Musa on the counterattack, Ayanacho on the counterattack, and you have a great midfield with Wilfred and Didi, who's one of the most underrated midfielders in the Premier League for Leicester City, I think it's going to be fantastic to see how they play. And I think there's a lot of passion and a lot of love with the Super Eagles right now, and I really mm-hmm. hope. They can get through to the knockout stage, and they do deserve it based on that performance against Iceland. Well, and if they do, they'll be beating Coach Lionel Messi as opposed to Coach uh, Jorge Sampali, who is uh, reportedly now just a, a, a spectator. He's just like you and me. We're watching. Yep. We're watching it's the like, game just like, like Jorge Sampali is. Um, it's, game of, it's Game of Thrones, baby. Yeah, you know, it's I'll a be, mutiny. You know, you yep. you piss off somebody. Messi's the coach. All right, yep. Messi's the coach, everybody. Uh, group B. Brazil leading the group on goal differential with plus two. They have four points. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, Switzerland, I think, has been one of the underratedly impressive teams in this tournament. They have four points, and they have a plus one goal differential. Serbia is on three points. They will be playing Brazil in the final game of their group. They have three. Costa Rica has been eliminated. They have no points. Um, let's focus on Brazil here. Although let's get actually let's get a word on in on Switzerland before we head off to talk about Brazil. So interesting, right? That when we talk about Switzerland, we talk about Shakiri. Everybody talks about how Shakiri is this really great player for for uh, the Swiss national team. And if you're a casual soccer fan, right, and you just watch the World Cup and the big tournament, Shakiri looks like probably one of the top five players in the world for, for Switzerland. Every time he steps up, he gets the game winner which sees them go second in the group, which basically helps them secure uh, qualifications. And Serbia's got to beat uh, Brazil to advance. And we can we believe that Brazil will beat Serbia, which has got to open up space and let you know, you know, go for it. And you look at their team; they have a they got a great goalkeeper, Jan Sommer, big fan of him. You look at Shakiri; they step up. Granit Xhaka, who's a red card machine for. For Arsenal, somehow gets a big, huge, awesome goal, opens up their first goal in that second game. You know, you look at Ricardo Rodriguez, Lichtensteiner, they're not, they've got good players. They don't have great players, but when they come together. Yeah, they're a good team. They're, 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 they're better than the sum team. of their parts. They, they are a team, and that is what makes them so good is that they play as a unit, one through 11, they know their job, and that's why they're second in the group, and they deserve to be second in the group. They kept on grinding it out against Serbia. The opportunity comes. Serbia give the ball back to Switzerland. Shakiri gets the winner. And when Shakiri plays for Switzerland, he plays like a top five player in the world. And when he plays for his club level, he plays he plays poorly. He is so much better being the big fish in a small pond than being a big fish in a big pond for a big club. Because he went to Inter, he's been at Bayern. He wasn't the good player for them. He goes to Basel. He plays for Stoke. And he's so good and influential. He's got to be the guy. And like I mentioned, he got the job done. They got four points. And, you know, we, we, we do expect them to get the job done against Costa Rica and maybe possibly could be group winners depending on how results go. Yeah. And, um, let's go to Brazil then. Um, I feel like Brazil so far in this tournament has been playing with sort of a monkey on their back. I think they've been playing with weight with, with weight, with expectation, with pressure. And 
it's very obvious that they have not handled the <clears throat> physicality of this tournament particularly well so far. Midfield-wise, I think they could be better than they've been. Attack-wise, I think they've pretty much been fine. I think the first game, Neymar wasn't great, but he's... Now, again, not to give him an excuse, but he is still coming off an injury. He hasn't played in three months. Mm-hmm. It was really his first full game as a... Uh, as uh, It was really his first full game that he played in three, four months. So he's working himself back. He wasn't great in the first game. He played better in the second game. I think he should be uh, much better in the third game, even than he was in the second game. Um they're being hit with some injuries right now. Um, Douglas Costa is going to be out for the third game. Um, Willian has been okay. Uh, right now they're playing Fogner at right back as opposed to Danilo, which I actually think they should just make a permanent change because Danilo isn't any good. Um, no. This is an interesting Brazil team. They're, they're the tournament favorites, but they're not particularly deep. And it's a team that couldn't afford in, it's a team that couldn't afford two things. Injuries and yellow card suspensions. And right now they have Coutinho, um, Casemiro and Neymar all on yellow cards. If either of the, any of those players get another yellow card, they miss the round of 16 game, which is looking more and more likely to be Germany. Yep. So there's a chance that Brazil doesn't even make it to the round of 16. There's an outside chance. Yep. But there's even almost a better chance that they get to the round of 16 and lose to Germany if they don't have their full complement of players. This is not a team that can go into their bench and pull out quality starters right now. It's a top-heavy roster. So what have your impressions of Brazil been? One thing I want to... It might be a hot take. You know, People might say I'm biased because I'm a United fan. But I'm talking about two rival strikers for Brazil that play for my rivals, Man City and for Liverpool, respectively. I don't think Gabriel Jesus compliments Neymar and Willian at all. I think he. I don't even think that's a hot take. I just think that's factual. And I kind of like how Firmino plays with three, with two pacey wingers. You've seen it with Liverpool. He's such a complimentary player in how he's very selfless. I kind of compare him to like Benzema. For Real Madrid, he's okay with not being the guy that scores goal. Obviously, for Liverpool, they play the extra pass and he gets his goal, and he likes to score his no-look goals and stuff like that. He's got that flair. He's Brazilian. Of course he does. He's got a little bit of an ego in that perspective. But he's okay with making the runs. He's okay coming back in the midfield. He's all right with going out wide and letting a name or a William go into the middle or a Salah or a Mane. And I think Firmino should be starting not Gabriel Jesus. I think the pace of Jesus is very, very nice. I think he'd be much better off the bench when players are getting tired. And I really do agree that this team is very interesting. But I do kind of disagree. I kind of think they do have some good depth. You look at Casemiro. He gets a yellow card. What do they do? They go and they'll bring on a Fernandinho, who's the you know the stopgap for Manchester City. You know, you have Firmino that can come off the bench. Diego, you know, Douglas Costa can come off the bench. I do agree that you know maybe outside of you know, the Fernandinho, maybe they do lack that, that flair and that, you know, wow, that guy's really good. You know, Felipe Luis, he's a good little backup complimentary piece if something happened to Marcelo. But I like Tyson and I like Fred. Don't know much about Fred, but he's joining my team, so I have to, you know, unbiasedly think that he's a really amazing player and then he's a world, world-class world player, so that's my 
that's my. I haven't seen him play plug, but he's really good anyways. So I yeah, but also, but but that's you know yeah. that's fine and all. Yeah. But you're gonna go into Germany without Casemiro and possibly Neymar. They have no shot to win that game. It's I don't know. I, I I like Fernandinho. I think he's but got. The, but you, you, I get that. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think he's good. I think yeah. he's a solid player. But I just feel like the way Brazil needs to function is they need that core group to play all the games. I think you start taking guys out of that, I think you lose a bit of what made this Brazil team so successful in the qualifications. Now, not to cut you off, but go. Yeah. Um, just to sort of direct it. Do you think Brazil gets it done and wins this group? I think they do. I don't. I think they could, they're going to draw against Serbia, and I think Switzerland are going to be Costa Rica. They will be playing Mexico in the knockout stages. But I thought that- honestly, though, would that not be better for Brazil? Yeah, I think so. Would I that not be better? So this is so yeah. strange, this World Cup. Because yeah. actually winning this thing might actually kind of yeah. doom them to play a Germany team that may or may not be any good. I mean, we'll get to them next, yeah. but... If you're Brazil, I don't think you have to necessarily go all out to win. It's it's a weird spot. They're in a really weird situation because they can't afford to lose, but a draw would not be the worst thing in the world here. No, I think a draw would be perfect for them because I do believe Mexico will get the job done. I think they're going to rest some players against Sweden, and we have saw what – we'll talk about that group next. But I I truly believe that this Brazil team, they'll take a lead. And they will take their players off the Coutinho's and Neymar who are on yellow cards, but bring them out so they do not get suspended for that round of 16 game, which possibly could be Mexico, possibly could be Brazil, or something, ha- or not Brazil, or Germany. Germany, or it could be Sweden. We never know. You know, yeah. weird things have weird things have happened. But if I'm Brazil, you're up one nothing. Do you really go for that second goal, knowing that the possibility of facing Germany looms? It's a, it's, an, it's a weird spot. It just, yeah. it, Brazil's in a weird catch-22 right now. Yeah. Uh, group F, Mexico leads the group with six points, um, three goals for, one against. Germany in second, um, they have three points, two goals for, two against. Sweden tied, technically, in third place, um, two goals for, two goals against. And South Korea is in last place with zero points, one goal for, and three against. Um, I'll, I'll start with Germany. I think that I overrated them in that I thought they would be a little bit more of a well-oiled machine than they've been. But we've seen teams figure it out during the tournament all the time. This is a Germany team that has, that needs to figure it out. And you kind of knew from the beginning that they didn't have their starting 11 right off the bat. But I think the first two games sort of confirmed that. I think, um, obviously Royce has to play. Obviously, um, Gomez has to be in the box. Maybe bump Werner outside. As much as I've enjoyed watching Julian Draxler, I'm not particularly sure he's what Germany needs right now. He's a little more of a finesse sort of pass it around player. I think Germany needs to be a hell of a lot more direct and more, um, more power football as opposed to finesse, which I think was really killing them in that, you know, first game and a half. And I would get Jerome Boateng off the field. I wouldn't play him again. I think he's been one of the worst players in this whole tournament. I just, I, 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 and again, people call Neymar selfish. I don't care if you're running a one center, who runs a one center back formation? 
Like, I understand Germany had to go for it, but they left so many holes in the back that whole game, even when Germany was on top, that they were playing this sort of balancing act of Boateng just bombing forward, leaving one guy in the back that if at any time, if it wasn't for Manuel Neuer, Sweden could have won that game and could have scored three or four goals. Yep. Neuer made two to three tremendous saves in that game. I thought Boateng played selfishly. I thought he was a detriment to the team. And I feel like they need to get him off. I think they need to keep their, keep sturdy at the back, have two center backs sit there, get, um, get Sebastian Rudy healthy, get him to sit in front of those two guys. He gets to go forward if he needs to and just play powerball, put Gomez in the middle. Let him just, just serve him the ball and let your, let Kroos be Kroos and stop kind of fucking around with this sort of, uh, you know, I'll say it like this. Germany in the first game and a half, they looked like they were trying to be Spain. And they're not Spain, they're Germany. So I think hopefully they've sort of figured that out. Well, the one thing that was just absolutely baffling in that first game, they played this, outrageously high line, which when the two center backs played for Bayern Munich, Jerome Boateng and Matt Hummels, and they played in a cup final against Frank- Einhard Frankfurt, and they got exposed on that high line, and they lost because Anthony Rebic got two goals playing on the break and playing balls, you know, into the channels past the two center backs that are not the fastest in the world. They got punished. They got punished with Lozano. They got punished on the break once again by, by Tauvin. And it, it just shows you that Lowe sometimes is arrogant in his ways, and he made some changes, and I thought he did make some good changes, but I think what he needs to do in that third game, Julian Brandt needs to be playing on that left-hand side. He was a very good difference maker for the last five minutes. I thought he was good in the first game when he came out for a cup of coffee. I think he needs to be playing. I think a more direct winger needs to be playing, and I think Brandt is very, very good in that aspect. There's a reason why he was brought in not Leroy Sané. I think he'll do a little bit more of the work on that side. You mentioned Draxler. I do like him, and I think Lowe has a, a – he's got a soft spot for him. He brought him to the Confederations Cup, made him the captain of a very young team. They won that tournament. So there's a little bit of a loyalty there, but sometimes you got to play the players that deserve to be playing. And, well, and, and, and it's not even that I don't think he's been – I think he's been one of the better players. I just don't think he fits what they need. Yeah, like, I, I think that's a difference. I, sometimes you can play well. Mm-hmm. But you're not doing the thing that you're needed to do in the game. Like you can be, you can be making great passes and great connecting play and running into getting into space, which he's doing a great job of. Of, of by the way, the issue is they need guys that are going to just put the ball in the box and just play blood and thunder. That's what they have to do because if they play blood and thunder, I'm not sure there's any team that can match them. Because they can play that blood and thunder with technique and grace. And I, I, Draxler's not that type of guy. That's just not his game. I do think the Thomas Mueller situation needs to be talked about. I do think he needs to be out of the starting 11. He's been awful. We talk, everyone's trying to heap, you know, this criticism onto, you know, onto the likes of a Mesutersel and there and the Sammy Kadiras and obviously Timo Werner. And no one's really talking about the fact that Julian Draxler, and no one's talking about the fact that Thomas Mueller has been absolute hot trash in this tournament. 
why is he getting a pass from the German media and all the football pundits when he hasn't been good? He's been he's a World Cup winner. That's why. Yeah, I get that, but half this team are World Cup winners. Well, yeah, but he was a key part of a World Cup winner. (laughs) True, it's true. But he he, sometimes you got to take the players that aren't performing. You got to put players in those situations and. I think Mueller down that right-hand side, yes, he's very good for Bayern Munich playing on that right-hand side, but when you're not playing to his best abilities, it's going to affect you. And I think Thomas Mueller needs to be dropped for that third game. I think they need to go with something else and maybe you know, possibly put Marco Royce on that right-hand side or, pull, or put Julian Brandt on that right-hand side. You know, yeah. Maybe change it up a little bit. Um, yeah, let's, do, let's talk about Mexico and Sweden very quickly as we kind of move this along. Um, Mexico have done exactly what they've needed to do. They've played the exact type of style they've needed to play, and they're getting rewarded for it. And I think they'll finish with nine points, because I think after what happened to Sweden, I think Sweden's pretty much done. I can't see them uh, getting off the mat after that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't see them getting off the mat after that knockout shot that Kroos uh, uh, gave them. So... It's probably going to be Mexico and Germany, what we expected from the beginning. Maybe a bit of a circuitous route, but um, what's Mexico's ceiling in this tournament? Because they're going to probably play Switzerland or Brazil. Does Mexico have a shot at the quarterfinals? I think they do. We've been talking about the quarterfinals, right? We've been, that's the dream for Mexican fans. They want to make it to the quarterfinal. They always make it to the knockout stage. They just can't get to that number five. And one of the contributors here for PSG Talk, uh, Eduardo uh, Razzo, he's joining me on Banter FC. We talked right after the Mexico game, and there was fireworks going off. There were horns being hawked in, in Los Angeles after a big win for Mexico over South Korea, 2-1 victory, Chicharito getting his 50th goal. The ceiling has to be the quarterfinals, and if they do get Switzerland, and I say this, and I have to preface this, if they do get Switzerland, I think it's going to be one of the better knockout stage games. I really do. I think out of the eight games, I think they those two teams have very good contra- contrasting styles, and I think it would definitely be a very exciting game. Each team have those quote-unquote hit-factor players that can make a difference, and I really think if Mexico gets Switzerland, I think the quarterfinals are possible. But if they get Brazil, and depending on if Brazil has suspension... Brazil's not a good matchup for them. No, not at all, because... It's been the complete opposite. They're not like Germany. They're not going to try to play. They're going to be more direct and be very, very quick, and I think that can hurt Mexico a lot more, and they'll put them under a lot more duress than they've faced in this group. So I'm very, very worried for Mexico if they have to play Brazil. But if they play Switzerland, I I like their chances. I really do in that quarterfinal. uh, Represent CONCACAF because we need it right now based on the performances of Panama. So Mexico, get, get nine points, win all three games, get to the quarterfinal, we'll all be happy. Speaking of Panama, Group G, which has sort of been the boring group of this tournament, England on six points, Belgium on six points. Both teams have scored eight goals. Um, Tunisia and Panama have both been eliminated. They weren't any good. Um, We can spend about three minutes on this group. England and Belgium, who wins and why? England wins. Belgium rests their star players for the knockout stage. They have no care in the world who they face. If it is a Japan, if it's a Senegal, or it's a Colombia, they don't care who they face. England, they want to be group winners. Uh, based on what you possibly could see, you might face a Japan or a Senegal, depending on how results go. Uh, if Colombia have to win their game, so they will go six points out. At the bare minimum, they will be 
possibly, probably group winner. So if you're England, you want to face either Japan or Senegal. Uh, you don't want to face Colombia. And I think Belgium, if they go up against Colombia, the group winner possibility in Group H, I think uh, they'll get the job done. But it's uh, been the tale of two Premier League strikers who've got possible five and four goals respectively. They've beaten the teams in front of them. We talked about it with Russia and Uruguay. Get the job done against the teams you should beat. They've done it. They've, those two teams deserve to be six points yeah. through the first two games. But I see England. Well, I know which one of them's been better, and his name is not Harry Kane. Um, so let me let me ask you a loaded question, Tyler. Um, who's the who's more for real in this group? Uh, the more rounded, better rounded, more complete, more experienced Belgium, or the team with the goal burglar? So England. They've gotten the job done. You know, before you, can I just, can I just say this about Harry Kane? God bless him. The guy scores goals. This is the cheapest five goals I've ever seen in my life. He scored two from four feet. He scored two on penalty kicks and one off of a ball that he didn't even see that barely grazed his heel. And we're supposed to act like England's gonna like actually do something in this after beating Tunisia and Panama. Yep. Like, come on now. I mean, even even for us, that's pretty far fetched. And again, I, Harry like, Kane like lives up. Bl- coming home, you don't like all the England fans saying no. And I'll home? say this quite frankly, Neymar. I, I can name ten players that have played better than Harry Kane in this World Cup. Harry Kane is a goal burglar, and that's okay because you need goal burglars. That's that's how the sport works, you know. You can't. You got to have guys who can get a goal and can be clinical in front of the up front of net. Because there's a lot of people that aren't. But that does not make Harry Kane this great all-world player. It just makes him what he is, which is okay. But let's not try to make him out into being something that he's not. Yep. I, I, rant over. Um. So yeah. Uh. I think Belgium's better. I think Belgium does try to make a statement here. I think you'd rather, I think you, it doesn't matter, I think, for Belgium, the who they play, but I think Belgium want to make a statement here. I, I think they do try to go for it a little bit, at least at the beginning. And They are going to be playing the big gun. The rumors coming out of Belgium is the big Fellaini will be starting uh, in this game. So. Well, well, scrap that then. Um, we have to oh, deal I'm with like another it. week of England, uh, we have to deal with another game of England nonsense, so... Well, I will tell you this, you will thoroughly enjoy this. So my girlfriend, she watches soccer, but she doesn't really know much about soccer. She's a big Fellaini guy, just because everybody hates him, and he's got the afro, and he pisses everybody off. So she likes him. So we have a bet going on that she said Fellaini will score more than... She'll, he'll score two or more goals at this World Cup. And I told her if she does, I will take her out to dinner once a week for a month, if she is right on her prediction. And she's really cheering on Messi, or not Messi, cheering on Fellaini, which is better than Messi at the World Cup. That's a, fa- that's a fact, just like he had his last World Cup. Uh, and look at what he will do against England. You know, he's very good against English opposition, Fellaini. We can't forget about that. So yes, uh, we we shall see. I, again, I, I don't I don't buy England one bit, but that's that's neither oh, here nor there. Um, I don't buy them either. They they they've been as we talked about it. They 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 beaten up on the. Uh, on the teams they should beat up on, they 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 played Panama and they scored six goals. Congratulations, you beat Panama. You you, you struggled against Tunisia. It took a shitty set piece goal in the ninety second minute for Harry Kane to be unmarked at the back post. He wasn't play. even marked. I mean, yeah. look at these five goals and tell me these yeah. are not the most lucky nonsense goals you can possibly score. 
I will say his two penalties he scored today were very, very well taken. So I will give. But him that's that. what he's supposed to do. That's his job. Yeah. Well, unless he's at Anfield, he will. He'll miss one and then yes, he'll make but the like other. The, to me, like you should be able to convert penalty kicks if you're Harry Kane. It's the least you can do. Group H, Japan leads with four goals uh, scored and three against with four points. Senegal tied for first. Uh, same thing, four goals scored, uh, three goals against. Um, Pol- uh, Colombia, um, they have uh, three points, uh, four goals scored and two against. And uh, Robert Lewandowski and the La- Jean Lewan band have been eliminated from the uh, competition. They have one goal for and five against and zero points. Yeah. What a bummer. It's a bummer for that. Well, let's, uh, let's, you know what? Well, let's spend just for my, uh, just for one of my Polish friends, Adam, let's, um, let's spend two minutes on how bad Poland was. Can I preface this by saying I like Trokowiak? I really like him as a player. Okay, go ahead. I, I like him as a player. I like him as a player. Uh, I really do. It's a shame that it didn't work for him at PSG. It's a shame that he left uh, Syria, or not Syria, La Liga, to come out and join PSG. I think he should go back there. I don't think he was meant for the Premier League as well, but I do think he's a really good player. And unfortunately, Poland, they were very disjointed. They didn't, they, they didn't have a cohesive plan. And unfortunately, when... Your best striker's best opportunity is a 70-yard ball over the top on his weaker left foot as Ospina gets, he's like two feet away from him. That's the problem. If you can't, you know, feed the best striker in the world opportunities, you're going to have one goal at five against and you're going to be out of the group. But I do think the Polish will have a good account of themselves. I think they will go into that last game against Japan and give everything in that game. I don't think it's going to be like a Panama or Tunisia where they just don't care. I do think they're going to be very, very uh, passionate and try to get something from their last game. Well, you can only hope, but um, it, it, people think Messi doesn't have a team. Robert Lewandowski's playing with freaking Polka players. Like, I mean, besides like a couple of them that are okay, I mean, good God, that team was bad. I mean, they're one of the worst in this tournament, unfortunately. Yeah. So, sorry about that, Adam. Um, sorry, Adam. They, yeah, they really uh, are awful. Uh, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the rest of this group. Um, there's a, this is an interesting group because I feel like Japan and Senegal had one of the games of the tournament. Um, Colombia, if they did not get that red card in the first game in the first three minutes, they may be leading this group. They very well probably would be leading this group, but, um, I think we'll have time to talk about Colombia at some point. Let's talk about Japan, Japan. and your, your, um, love of Jap, your love of all things Japan. It's a, I have a very sick love for Japan. And yes. It all comes from something that I saw three years ago on YouTube. I watched the Japanese U14 team play against Barcelona and beat them 8 to nothing. And I said, yep, 8 to 10 years from now, these guys will definitely be contending for quarterfinals and semifinals. The way they just dismantled a Barcelona U14 team, uh, it definitely caught my attention. And they have some really good players. In Chicago, I played for Verishi Dorman, very quality player. Okazaki's done a really good job in the Premier League. You know, you have very, very good players. You have Izami and, you know, Yamaguchi. I really like some of the players on this team. You have Mutu as well. You know, you have Sakai, the two Sakais. One plays for uh, Hamburg, the other plays for Marseille, plays in League On, who's a really quality player. Sometimes he can get caught out in the fullback position, but I do like the team. They work really, really hard and technically fantastic. They have good brains and they don't give up. Right? They go down against Senegal. They're down 2-1. They bring on Honda. 
on Honda as cool as you like. As cool as you like, the ball comes right across Honda's left foot. He puts it right into the side netting to make it 2-2. And they had maybe a possibility, an opportunity to get a winner. They've gotten the job done. They beat Colombia. They got a point against Senegal. They're playing Poland. We have to admit that a lot of people didn't see this Japanese team getting out of the group. And they're in pole position to be the winners of this group with seven points. Yeah, I, I think they win that. Up. Yes, I think they win that game against Poland. I just don't see Poland giving a damn. Uh, I don't know. Just I, I don't see them caring. I think they. I, I think Japan wins that game, and then it comes down to Senegal and Colombia. Who wins? Who gets through? Senegal or Colombia? We watched them dismantle Poland, and I mean they gave them a beatdown. We saw Senegal versus Poland. Senegal were. Good, but there's some controversy. They had a player that was off the field that thought he was getting substituted, wasn't substituted. Poland played one bad ball in the back. The player comes back on in Yang, and he scores. And there's some controversy there. They should have kept the player off and not let him come back on in the middle of a play that was active that led to that goal. So things kind of went Poland's way. They could have had a point against Senegal. Things don't go their way. Senegal get that goal, and that's the decisive goal in that matchup, but I think Colombia, based on what we saw today, Hamas Rodriguez is fit, Falcao scores the goal, so the confidence is good for the captain. Juan Quintero was fantastic, Cordardo was fantastic, the four, the four star players, the four attacking players were great, the center backs, I mean, who would have saw Mina be very, very good, and we know Davidson Sanchez, who plays for Spurs, is one of the better center backs in the Premier League, he doesn't get that as much attention, but he's done a really good job, the former Ajax man, but Colombia... In the good form, they've got the momentum. We've always talked about it when we're in major tournaments. Momentum is key, and they got the momentum. And I think Senegal, they do have some really good pieces. I just don't think they got enough to uh, go into a winner-takes-all game and get the job done. Um, all right, cool. That's that is. I, I would. I probably agree with you there. Although I kind of would like to see Senegal uh, advance here, just for the shock value of it. Yep. Um. One more question before we head off into the sunset. Um, yep. Who did you pick to win this World Cup, and do you still think they will? I picked Spain to win this World Cup. Uh, people would say, oh, you must be shocked after the first game. They dropped 3-3. You know what? It's Ronaldo. Ronaldo has magical moments. He takes his penalty. He gets a little lucky, you know, worm burner on De Gea that goes into his net. But he hits that free kick with minutes to go in the game. He buries his top corner. He hits the goal against Morocco, but I've always said it, you know, Diego Costa, if he's playing for the team you think you support, I mean, if you're a Chelsea fan, you love him. If you're an Atletico Madrid guy, you love him. Spanish national team, even though half the people that support that team absolutely hate him, he's got his scoring goals right now. He's big, he's physical, he's a, he's a tank. I like the defense, I like Busquets, and, you know, how can you go against Iniesta? Last major tournament, probably. I like the defense, I like the midfield, I like the attack. They're still my favorites. I'm still going to go with them. And the way this tournament's kind of gone out, I don't know who's going to win the World Cup, but I really hope it's Spain because I picked them and I kind of want to look smart. Awesome, man. Uh, Tyler, plug away. All right, guys. You can listen to my podcast, Banter FC. We're coming up to episode 250 on the podcast, so... Huge, huge achievement in that, that we've done 250 episodes. As I mentioned in the middle of the podcast, we have a contributor here for PSG Talk joining me. Thanks to Mark Damon, Eduardo Razzo. 
He writes for you guys. He's been on the podcast before. So if you liked him here, he's joining me on my Monday's podcast. When you listen to this and you want to kind of hear uh, the take of a Mexican fan, watching them hit that six point, their second win, hear about Chucky Lozano, talk a little bit about Rafa Marquez and how uh, Andres Cordado, could he play for six World Cups for Mexico? Could he be in the 2026 World Cup? You can hear Eduardo Razo's take on that as well. And as I've always said, make sure you guys like and rate, review us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, and wherever you listen to your podcast at. Uh, we really enjoy great conversations. We've had Mark on the podcast. We've had people that have contributed here at PHP Talks. So if you like Mark, you'll definitely like what i got to talk about because we keep it fresh, we keep it clean, and we have a good time. A little swearing there and there. It never goes remiss. We like to have fun. So check out Banter FT. It's always a good time. Yeah, and just before we go, a little inside information. We talk outside of these, uh, outside of these little podcasts that we do. So, um, I, I, I take credit for being Eduardo and, uh, Eduardo's booking agent on this, uh, on this one. And I, as I said, I, on, on one of my summer vacations, I am going to, uh, your neck of the woods in Chicago, August 1st through the 3rd, but apparently, um, you've got a little move to do. Yep. Possibly could be moving. It depends on how work does all the paperwork and everything. I could be moving on August 1st or I could be moving on on August 3rd, that Friday, uh, that weekend. So there's a possibility that I will be seeing Mark in person or I will be having to wait until my trip to New York or when uh, Mark with the school takes a trip down to Mickey Mouse and I can see him then. Yes. Because the people know that Mark is an awesome teacher, everybody's favorite teacher. So yeah. if he makes a trip down to the mouse... Uh, he'll definitely be hanging out with Tyler. And, and, I, and I will say, and I will say that um, it would be cool to kind of do my uh, do our PSG preview live. That'd be kind of that'd be kind of cool. That would be very very fun. Well, we'll see how that all breaks out. Um, so for Tyler Dunn, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now. <laughs>